is here right now, God, and we ask that you would touch and bless your word, God. As we open, Lord, this book of yours, may you speak to us, God. May you motivate us and may you transform our thinking, God. Transform the way we live. Transform, Lord, what's in our heart to what you would have and what is written before us. So, Lord, we ask for your Holy Spirit to anoint this time to be with us and to speak clearly to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, many years ago, the comedian, the old comedian, Jack Benny, he would always play this part of the penny pincher kind of guy. And he told how this one time he was held up, the robber stuck a gun to his back and said, your money or your life? Well, after a long pause, the robber repeated his threat once again, come on, your money or your life? To which Benny replied, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Well, some people have a hard time parting with their money. Yet, you know what? God wants believers to be the giving type of people. J.C. Ryle once wrote, A giving Savior should have giving disciples. Well, as we return to our study here in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul encourages the Corinthian believers to remember their commitment that they had made to give to the struggling church in Jerusalem. And with this, Paul represents the support they are to do as giving with grace. And that's our title for our message this morning. Actually, we're going to do part one. We're going to do chapter eight. We're going to study 2 Corinthians chapter eight the whole chapter from verse 1 through 24. And next week, we're going to go on to chapter 9 with the same theme, with the same idea, giving with grace. So that's our title, Giving with Grace, part 1. Our outline this morning is this, give unselfishly. Number 2, give wholeheartedly. Number 3, give sacrificially. Number 4, give meaningfully. And number 5, give trustingly. Now, before we go on here, I I do want to say something here. Before we get started, you know, if you're new here, you've been just recently coming here, or maybe this is the first time here, you know, you may be turning to your wife and say, Martha, here we go again, just like that other church, talking about giving money again. Well, if you've been here for a while, though, you know, I don't really push these things. I don't really push that issue. I mean, only once in a while I may ask for certain things or a need to give to or like, hey, give candy, you know, for, for the hollow hymn thing. Um, and even as you see, you know, when we receive our offering and tithes, it's, it's low-key. We just have a prayer over it, you know, in a, a time of giving, giving in that way. So, you know, if you're new here or you just happen to come into the church for the first time, it just so happened you came when we're in this section about giving as we are studying chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through the book of 2 Corinthians. So it just so happened it falls on this subject. So it's not like I do this all the time or every week. So just qualifying that. Okay, let's begin here. Number one in our outline, give unselfishly. Give unselfishly. Take a look with me here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul writes here, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. All right, we'll stop right there. We begin with this word, moreover. Now, Paul's really saying, now, you guys, now, brethren. And he's switching subjects as he's going on to this subject of giving. And the issue really here is that the Jerusalem church had fell on hard times financially because of persecution and a famine going on. And Paul had mentioned that already, you know, when we study 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So as he switches gears here, as he moves into here, this part of the book, Paul wants to let the Corinthians know what the churches in Macedonia had done in their giving. And that's what he mentions at the end of this verse. So the Macedonian churches are like the church in Philippi or the Thessalonica church or Berea. And they're all in the northern part of Greece. And what they did, he calls, and we see this in verse 1, he calls his help to support this giving, the help 
or, or, or this help, the grace of God bestowed. Bestowed means like giving. In other words, their giving was, was not only just the support, but it was the grace of God working through them in their giving. So the idea here in verse 1 is that the Macedonians, their giving was dripping with this grace of God. John MacArthur put it this way, their giving was not motivated primarily by philanthropy or human kindness, but by the grace of God at work in their hearts. And I love that. So understand that, you know, at, as we come to the Lord, there's that transforming work of grace in our heart as believers, right? And so you become this person that receives this grace, and then out of you flows out this grace. And one of the ways is through your giving. And so understand that as we get into this chapter and even the next, this, this is what Paul is really talking about when he says grace. He's talking about the giving. And, it, and grace, it's a gift anyway, right? For for. Grace, it's freely giving, given, right? And a gift is freely given. Remember how we say, like, justice is getting what you do deserve. That just, just judgment or consequences for your sin. Mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? A lot of time God gives us mercy, not get, receiving the judgment or punishment or whatever we, we should receive. But grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's purely a gift. Grace is that undeserved favor, that undeserved blessing. So keep all of this in mind in these two chapters as we talk about giving, but giving with grace. So then, Paul describes how the Macedonians gave. Look at verse 2. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So the Macedonians were going through a great trial, persecution, suffering. And on top of that, they were in deep poverty. They are very poor financially. But in all of their giving, Paul's saying, they found this abundance of joy. They found the riches of their liberality. The word liberality, a better word for us today, is generosity. So the idea in verse 2 is the Macedonians found so much spiritual joy and spiritual riches in their generous giving. And we find this idea too in Acts chapter 20 verse 35 where it says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Listen, when we really give generos generously, <laughs> uh, there's this spiritual thing that happens. There's a spiritual connection to God because he gives, and we're going to see that later. And we get this connection to his grace when believers really give like this. And, th and this is what Paul's beginning to build even for us as we go through this chapter. Well, how did they give? Look at verse 3. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. The Macedonian churches gave according to their ability, and yes, even beyond their ability, Paul says. In other words, some gave what they could, and some even gave beyond that. And not only that, they gave in a freely willing way. That means they gave of their own free will. They weren't coerced, they weren't manipulated, they weren't intimidated. It was their own choice. So much so, look at the next verse. They approached Paul. Verse 4, imploring us or begging us with much urgency that we would receive this gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Do you get their heart here? Do you get the idea? The Macedonians begged Paul, urging him to receive or accept their gift that they wanted to give to the Jerusalem church. And perhaps Paul, knowing their poverty, knowing how poor they were, he didn't even ask them for help. But they came to Paul. They approached Paul. Paul wanting, and notice here they said, the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. The word fellowship here is the word koinonia, which means sharing together, or we talk about that oneness, communion together. So they wanted to take part in this relief effort. They wanted to be one with the other churches that are helping the saints there in Jerusalem. Then in verse 5, Paul writes, and not only as we had hoped, 
but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So what Paul is saying is this, and they did more than we had hoped or they did more than we had expected. And then he says, but you know what this shows? That they first gave themselves to the Lord. In other words, their first priority is to be surrendered and dedicated to the Lord. It's not about how much money they have or how much money they don't have, but it was about giving, giving to the Lord. It's about what God wanted them to do. It was about doing, at the end of verse 5, the will of God. Doing what the Lord wanted was to give to this cause to help the Jerusalem church. So the idea here, Paul's like saying, you know, the unexpected, gracious, gracious gift only proved their dedication to the Lord. You know what I think about, you know, back in the temple days in the New Testament, the, the priests and the temple itself were supported by the giving of the people. And remember there's that one time Jesus pointed to that widow who wanted to do her part by giving what she could do to the Lord. And so in Luke 21, Jesus pointed out how this poor widow gave that two mites, right? And we understand that, that today in today's uh, conversion, it would be like one-eighth of a cent. Today, that's what she gave. And it was really, Jesus said, all that she had. She gave everything. That's how poor she was. And though it was barely anything, it was way more in proportion to the rich who were just giving out of their surplus there. And Jesus pointed it out. Notice maybe, you know, they gave their 1% or whatever out of their riches, but she gave her 100%. It was more than what was expected. It was this unexpected amount. It showed her unselfish, abandoned heart for the Lord. So this is Paul's point here. The Macedonian believers were able to give unselfishly beyond expectations because when they gave, when they gave it was all for the Lord. The Macedonian believers were able to give unselfishly beyond expectations because when they gave, it was all for the Lord. This little girl was given $2. One was to be put into the cakey offering in Sunday school. The other was for her own to spend when the family went to the store after church. But she lost one of the dollars on the way to church. And she turned and confessed to her mother, Mommy, somehow I lost the Lord's dollar. Now, isn't that like us sometimes, right? I mean, what I mean is, Lord, I have my needs. Or I have my wants, right? Those things take priority over giving to the Lord. Those things take priority over what God's will is. Is that you? Is that you today? Or, or let me put this out. Perhaps you, you don't want to give. Perhaps you've pulled back from giving lately. And you hear messages like this, or you hear someone talking like this, you're like, well, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But, you know, I'm not going to give. And why is that? Maybe something happened. Maybe you got burned. Maybe the goodness of your heart has been taken advantage of and it deeply hurt you. And now you're like over it. But you know what? Don't hold it against what God wants you to do. What the Lord is asking you to do. And, and say, well, I'm never going to do that again. I mean, look at the Macedonians. They were able to give more than their ability, give more than expected, more because it was not about what they felt or what they were getting out of it, but they gave unselfishly because they wanted to give with grace. They wanted to give and honor the Lord. Listen, God wants us to do the same thing, to give with grace. That means, like, no strings attached, yeah? No looking for something in return. Not thinking that it will make you feel good or not looking like, oh, I'll get some attention. Yeah, congratulations. And maybe when you don't, you don't give anymore. It's not putting any stipulations on the Lord. So maybe someone has burned you. Maybe something has happened and you don't feel like. But you know, God is prompting all of us to give, to give again, to give to Him for the Lord. The Macedonian believers, we see, they were able to give unselfishly. It wasn't about them. It wasn't about how much money or anything like that. It was beyond expectations what they gave. Because you know what? It was for Him, for Jesus, and not themselves. 
I read this story about a, a girl named Hattie Wyatt, a little girl. She came to this church, a small Sunday school, and asked if she could go in. But they said, oh, you know what? We're full. There's no room for her. And they knew what? Less than two years later, she, she got sick and she died. But they found underneath her pillow this torn pocketbook with 57 pennies in it. And they were wrapped in a scrap piece of paper. And it, on the paper was written to help build the little temple bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. Oh, I read that. I was like, whoa. What they found out was for two years she had saved her pennies for the cause which was nearest to her heart. The pastor told the incident to his congregation. The people began making donations for the enlargement. The papers uh, got a hold of it, told it far and wide, and within five years, those, that 57 pennies had grown to $250,000. And today, to this day in Philadelphia, you can see this big Baptist church that can accommodate more than 1,400 students just by her giving. And you know, I was thinking about that. Even she was rejected. This little one saved her little pennies and gave with grace let's go on now to number two give wholeheartedly give wholeheartedly giving with grace it means to give unselfishly and now number two give wholeheartedly take a look here as we go on second corinthians chapter eight verse six so we urge titus that as he had begun so he would also complete this grace in you as well all right here paul urge Titus and remember Titus is Paul's assistant his disciple and Titus was the one remember that brought this letter to the Corinthian church so Paul urged Titus now to finish what had begun so Titus already collected some of the offerings on this previous on the previous trip that he had made and so now he is to complete this grace this giving in other words, he's to receive the rest of what the Corinthians intended to give to help the church in Jerusalem. So the idea is, since Titus is there, he's there with this letter, you know, he sent this letter to give to the Corinthians, might as well collect the rest of the offering. And apparently then we see that this giving had dropped. And some speculate, remember we talk about the false teachers who are attacking Paul's character and all, and his authority. So maybe it dropped. So Paul's encouraging them, hey, finish what you started. Finish what we talked about back in 1 Corinthians 16. Then verse 7, Paul says, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. In other words, Paul writes in verse 7, you guys abound. The word means like you excel in many different ways in your walk, like in your faith. You, you excel in your faith or you excel in your speech, meaning like talking or teaching. You excel in your knowledge, right, of God. You excel in your diligence, which means like your eagerness and your earnestness. And even you excel in your love. But then he says, you want make sure that you also abound or excel in this grace also, in this giving with grace. If God's transforming grace put these things into your lives, faith, this character, knowledge, well, you know what? Giving should be a part of you too. I read about a man who was um, getting water baptized, and, and uh, uh, when he got into the water, he, he, he forgot that his wallet was in his back pocket. So, he, so as he was getting in the water, and right before he got baptized, he, he took his wallet out and held it up really high, and then he was ready to get baptized so his wallet wouldn't get wet. But the pastor like, no, your wallet has to get wet. Your, your wallet has to be baptized too. And you understand that. Our giving, our money, is all part of our walk also. Verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Okay, Paul's saying he's not giving this commandment. He's not ordering them to give to the church in Jerusalem. But he's really testing or he's proving the sincerity of their love for God, for their love for others, for the church in Jerusalem. And he says, basically, he's comparing them with the diligence 
or that seriousness, that earnestness of others, the Macedonians that he just gave as an example. So the idea here is Paul's challenging them to prove their love and give like the Macedonians did. Remember in 1 John 3.17, the Apostle John said, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So Paul is bringing this thought out to them. Hey, show that. Prove that. Show what you are genuinely about. So our point here is this. Don't hold back on your offering, but prove your love for God. Give wholeheartedly. Don't hold back on your offering, but prove your love for God. Give wholeheartedly. I read about a young man who came to his pastor to get prayer as he had promised to give God a tithe or tenth of his income every week. He was making like $150 a week, so he was going to give the Lord a tenth, a tithe, $15 every week. So the pastor prayed for God to bless this young man's tithe and his giving and bless his work and all of his efforts. Well, many, many years later, the man was now tithing now, giving to the Lord more than $200 a week. Well, he ended up calling his pastor to see if he could be released from his promise because in his words, well, it was too hard, it's too costly for me, and he thought it was just too much to give. The pastor replied this way, I don't see how you can go back out, back out of your promise, but you know what? We can ask God to reduce your income back to that 150 Then, then you have no problem tithing the 15 <laughs> I like that. But you understand, though he made this promise, it wasn't wholeheartedly, right? Though he said, God, I'm going to give you my offering, you know, so much a, a, a week or so much a month. It wasn't wholeheartedly. It was when things got hard or when he wanted more other things to buy or maybe the amount was too much, what? Oh, he wanted to go backwards on that. Is our heart like that too? Maybe when we give, it's more a ritual than our heart in it. Do we make promises to give but never follow through? Let's think about it this way. If your giving reflects how much you love God, what would your financial statements say? We can give without loving the Lord, but we cannot love without giving. Or think about it this way. To give our money wholeheartedly to the Lord means we love Him more than the things we could have bought with that money. Let's go on to number three now. Give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. Giving with grace means to give unselfishly, giving wholeheartedly, and number three, giving sacrificially. Let's go on here. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich... For yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. We come to one of those great verses about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And many of you, maybe your Bibles are already highlighted with this. But in context, Paul now gives an example of how Jesus graciously gave when he sacrificed his life to die on the cross for us. Paul says, you know the grace. There's that word again in this chapter. That undeserved gift of our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son did something none of us deserve, right? This was an act of grace. So Paul describes this giving with grace that that Jesus did. And how? Well, how that though he was rich, and that's not speaking about his life here on earth. But in regards to his position as the eternal God, second member of the Trinity, living in power and glory in heaven, how he was rich in that aspect, yet Jesus became poor, verse 9 says. That speaks of when he humbled himself, took on the form of a man. It speaks of his incarnation, taking, taking on the human form and coming to this earth. And then, how Jesus, this heavenly king, gave himself now to become a lowly servant to earthly beings. How Jesus came to this earth. I like how Warren Wiersbe put this. He wrote, Certainly he was rich in his person, for he is eternal God. 
He is rich in his possessions and his position as King of kings and Lord of lords. He is rich in his power, for he can do anything. Then, Wiersbe went on to say, He united himself to mankind and took on himself a human body. He left the throne to become a servant. He laid aside all his possessions so that he did not even have a place to lay his head. You know, when Christ took on the form of, of a man, he laid down his power also. And he humbled himself. Why? Why did he do it? Well, Paul says, for your sakes. That means for you. That means for me. And that through his poverty, we might become rich. That through him becoming a, a man, coming down to the sort, laying aside all his, his, his power, he came to that lowest moment when he gave himself to die on the cross for our sins. But it was why? So we who are bankrupt in our sins could be spiritually rich now with a new life in Jesus and an eternal life in heaven. So Jesus came from the heights of heaven to die for the lowest of sinners. In Philippians 2, 6-8, we see this, and this is the NLT version. It reads like this, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Which means Jesus did not demand to cling to his right as God. Verse 7, instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. And verse 8 says, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. How incredible is God's grace for us that Christ would do that for me, for you. You must know by this that God loves you, right? We, why would he do that for us? But only because of love and only because of his grace toward you. Listen, if you're here this morning and you never received Christ, know that Jesus loves you and this is what he's done for you. And today is that day of salvation. You know, receive him in your heart. In your heart. Receive what he's done. Accept him today and believe in all who he is and what he's done. So Paul puts this verse here to give us this example of Jesus. Notice that Jesus did not hold back when he gave. That Jesus showed his love here. That Jesus gave with grace that jesus gave everything right he gave his whole life he gave wholeheartedly jesus was all in with his giving and when you give wholeheartedly which was our, our last heading you naturally you know what you give sacrificially and that's the example we see here so what's paul's point here in context just as jesus gave we should give sacrificially just as jesus gave we should give sacrificially i always think when i i, I hear this I, I think of that old story of a pig and a chicken they're walking through a poor section of the city and a chicken said to the pig look at all those hungry people let's give them ham and eggs for breakfast the pig said wait a minute wait a minute that's easy for you to say for you it's a donation but for me it's a sacrifice <laughs> is your giving only what is convenient or is it really a sacrifice? Do you give only what you have in excess? Or do you give, no matter what, Lord, this is for you. I'm going to give what costs. Like the Macedonians, they give what they could, but even went beyond. And that was the proof of their love. Didn't Jesus prove his love when he gave of himself sacrificially? Well, so do we. When was the last time you actually gave sacrificially? Has it been a long time? I came across something Mother Teresa said. If you give what you do not need, it isn't giving. I think about like what David said to the owner of, of this property he was trying to purchase. Um, he was trying to get for, to build the temple. Well, eventually the temple was built on it, but to make sacrifice. And, and the, he, the owner came, you know, said, oh, no, I'll give it to you for free. But David said in 2 Samuel 24, 4, no, I don't want to do that. But I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. That's what giving with grace is, you guys. That's 
what it really is. Let's go to number four now. Give meaningfully. Give meaningfully. So we have giving with grace means to give unselfishly. We find here to give wholeheartedly. We find with Jesus and how he did it, it's to give sacrificially. And now number four, give meaningfully. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 10. It says, And in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you must complete the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. All right, so Paul's like, let me give you some advice. And this is what I want to give you. In other words, let me say something here to you guys. And it's to your advantage. It's, it's for your good. Listen now, he's saying, you... You, you guys need to do You need to be doing what you began. You need to get back to what was started, to what you were desiring to do, what you wanted to do a year ago. So it was a year ago they started co- uh, getting a collection to give to the Jerusalem church. And then verse 11, he's saying, now's the time now to complete or finish what you started. And, and, and he's like, remember, there was that readiness, that, which means like eagerness to give. So make that completion finish uh, what you had started. Or, uh, com- um, make the completion out of what you have. In other, in other words, let's finish what you first wanted to do back then and let your giving match that eagerness you had then. Paul's idea is this, you know, Follow through with what was on your heart to help the Jerusalem church. It's been said Christianity and tennis are a lot alike. A good serve requires a good follow through. I like that. See, good intentions are not enough. The would have, the should have, or, or could have. It doesn't fly in a Christian life and it doesn't fly in giving either. So then Paul says in verse 12, For if there is... First, a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. Well, here Paul's like, let's finish what you wanted to do. For first, he's saying God looks at the willing mind. In other words, God looks for the willingness in your heart. That's what matters to him. And then, It's accepted, he says, according to what one has. God will receive whatever you feel you can give. And, he says, see, it's not according to what he does not have. God is not looking for some set amount that that he wants from everybody here. That idea really here is this. God looks at how you give and not what you give. See, true giving is not measured by the amount given, but by the eagerness or what the desire is in your heart. What counts in God's ledger, and this is what Paul is really saying, is the desire, not necessarily the amount. Let me put it this way. Say you only have a $10 bill and you, you wanted to give more, but that's all you have. You can't right now. You know what? God records your heart desire, not so much the amount. Maybe, you know, you wanted to give 20, but you only get this $10 bill, and that's what you put in an offering. Then God said, you know what? I'm counting that like a 20. But say you only have a $10 bill, but you really only want to give five. So you got to put the 10 in, but God only records the five because that's what your heart really only wanted to give. That, this is what Paul's saying. It's about the attitude of our heart in giving. It's not so much about the money in hand. It's about the heart gift, not the hand gift. See, if you connect this to what we saw just before this, to give sacrificially, giving sacrificially, I mean, we can give and and sacrificially, but maybe we're not happy about it. Okay, here you go, kind of thing, right? Yeah, I don't want to, but here you go, and you give sacrificially. That's not giving meaningfully. But giving can be sacrificially, truly, when we're willing to give that which costs us for the Lord. And that's giving meaningfully. So here's the point here. Finish whatever the amount you wanted to give. That's what Paul's saying. Just as long as you give meaningfully. That's what's important. You guys, finish what you started. But listen, I'm not talking about some dollar amount. 
Just, just do what was in your heart. Match that, you know. Just, just do that. Finish that amount you wanted to give just as long as you give meaningfully. I remember a long time ago one Christmas, Justin my, was a little boy back then, my oldest son, right? And uh, we were opening presents, and he gave me a present for Christmas, and, and it was wrapped by his own hand, really cute. You know, it was really small. It was really kind of, it was heavy. It was round, and then when I unwrapped it, opened it up, this special gift, I thought, oh, this is from my little boy, and he did it all by himself. I opened it up. I was surprised that it was a rock <laughs> from the yard. <laughs> it was one of the rocks <laughs> in the yard. And I was like, oh. And then I laughed because, you know, I, that the kids would ask me, like, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I don't want them, you know, not maybe going too far, but I was like, not wanting them to spend any money. And, yeah, it's okay. I would just kind of joke and say, ah, just give me one rock. I'm okay. Just get a rock. So Justin, in a joking way, said, oh, okay, I'll give you a rock. <laughs> but you know what? It, it was kind of funny, but you know what I thought? This is really thoughtful here, Yeah. He thought about the present, yeah? It wasn't just, oh, yeah, here you go, you know, the same thing you get every year, a box of chocolate or whatever, right? He thought about, oh, I know what dad wants. He wants a rock. And so to me, yeah, it was a rock because it's kind of funny, but it was thoughtful, and it was meaningful, yeah? And so I, I still have the rock today. No, just joking, I don't. I don't, but, but I, really, I thought, oh, at least he thought about it, right? You know, and, and, and that, that's the thing. What Paul is saying, it's not so much the dollar amount, yeah? It's not so much, you gave me a lot. You know, the Lord's saying, you gave me a lot, you gave me a little bit. It's not. God is looking more in what? In your heart. They had this heart to give, that it's meaningful to you to give to the Lord. How do you give? I mean, what is the attitude in your heart? Is it to bless the Lord? Is it to give well, whatever I can to the Lord? That's meaningful to God. Or do you just... You're, Here's what I do ritually. You just throw it in. Yeah, well, here comes a bag. Oh, what's the matter? Oh, you just throw it in. Perhaps maybe even you started this year with, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do that. And maybe you are. But is it really what's inside there? Or is it just this ritual you do? We all need to get back or get to a kind of giving that is from our heart. Listen again, God sees not so much the dollar amount, but more the, the desire behind the dollar. Or maybe you're here trying to figure out, well, how, how little can I give and still be pleasing to God? Don't think about that no more. Think about your heart, what's in your heart to give to the Lord. All right, number five, our last heading here. We have, we have five headings. Uh, usually I don't have that many, but really it's our points that we're looking at. So number five is give trustingly, and this is the rest of the chapter. Give trustingly. Giving with grace means to give unselfishly, give wholeheartedly, give sacrificially, give meaningfully, and now give trustingly. Verse 13, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. Now, Paul goes on to clarify the giving is not so that the Jerusalem church should be eased. That means to kick back, get, get a little rich here, and then the Corinthian guys be burdened to, be, to have nothing, no more. And perhaps he's saying this because the false teachers are accusing Paul of ripping off the Corinthians for Jerusalem's gain. And Paul's saying, no, 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 it's not about that. He says, verse 14, but it's, it's an equality. In other words, it's equalizing the need and the support in this balance. See, he goes, right, it, and now at this time, he says, your abundance may supply their lack. But you know what? Later, their abundance may supply your lack, that there may be equality. In other words, we help each other here. Yeah? When someone's in need, they, they, you help them. And maybe when you're in need, they come back, they help you. That's the equality, what he means with that word is. So the idea is you don't give so the rich can become poor and the poor become rich. That's not what it's about. No, God uses all, each one of us, to help each other out when the time comes. 
One pastor said, if everybody gives their share, then the giving isn't a burden on anybody. And I like that thought, too, because uh, it's not up to one wealthy person, you know, to support the church or to support other people. Or it's not up to one church, you know, to support a ministry. But it's about everybody involved in helping. Then Paul says in verse 15, As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Now Paul quotes from Exodus 16, 18, where the Israelites, you remember, gathered the manna from God every day for their daily provision. So what Paul is saying is that those who took more than they needed ended up with that rotten manna leftovers, remember? So they had nothing left over. But those who gathered a little, who had just enough for the daily provision, They had no lack. The idea is this. We trust God when we give today that he will provide for tomorrow. That's what he's saying here. So, you know, this is all about, you know, helping each other for our daily and immediate needs. And, of course, we all hold to this promise, right? Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So when we give... We give sacrificially, even if it's sacrificially, we give trustingly as God leads us that he can still provide for our future also. Verse 16, Paul says, But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Now, as Paul continues on here into the rest of this chapter, he talks about those basically who are handling the money. He says, hey, thanks be to God for Titus, who has the same earnest or this eagerness that the Corinthians have in helping the Jerusalem church. For not only, Paul says, did Titus accept the request to go to Corinth, but he was diligent. He wanted to go. He was eager to go. He was earnestly wanting to go on his own accord. He went willingly. It was his heart to serve in this way. And not only Titus, but someone else, Paul says in verse 18, And we have sent with him, the brother, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. So this brother that went with Titus is known for being a preacher of the gospel. Verse 19, And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Paul's saying this, this guy was also chosen by the other churches to travel with Titus and the other guys with this gift. In other words, this guy was this trusted, trustworthy accountability partner, which was administer which means like ministered they were the team bringing this gift to minister to the church in jerusalem that to show their ready mind or to show their love and eagerness to give the gift to help them then verse 20 avoiding this that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us in other words this team was traveling together with this gift being accountable to one another, not just Titus, but another guy, so that no one could blame or criticize or accuse them for the way they were handling this lavish, or our word is generous, gift. Verse 21, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. That is this, being careful to be honorable. In other words, how they handled the money, they wanted to honor God with it. They, they, in, in the sight of the Lord, as they live before God and before other men, Paul wanted to do things above board. So he has Titus. He has this other brother. He has these guys traveling together with this gift so there would be no way that anyone can ac- accuse them of anything. Then verse 22, And we have sent with them our brother, there's a third person, whom we have often proved diligent or eager in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have, have in you. So on top of that, Paul sends another guy uh, who's trustworthy, having been tested with that same heart to help the Jerusalem church. Not themselves, but to help the church. And even now, much more diligent or eager because of the confidence of the Corinthian hearts. Like, they're excited, too, that the Corinthian church had started this collection, and now Paul's asking them to finish it. They're excited to go and, and take their gift also 
and bring it to the Jerusalem church. So the idea really, Paul reassures the Corinthian believers that these men can be trusted with the offering. And when you have that, it's easier to give, right? I like how Paul shows these men can be trusted by their heart for the Corinthians and their heart to serve. That's verse 16 and 17. Their heart for the lost, verse 18. Their heart to do things above board, verse 19 and 20. Their heart to honor God, verse 21. And their heart was proven, verse 22. These were trustworthy men who handled the offering. So then, verse 23, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you, or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. In other words, if anyone questions Titus, tell him, you know, he's my partner, he's my disciple, he's my fellow worker in the ministry. Paul says, I can vouch for Titus. And if anyone asks about the two other guys that are with Titus, tell them they're messengers sent officially by the churches who will do all this for the glory of Jesus. And our last verse this morning, verse 24, Therefore, Paul says, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. So Paul says, since these trustworthy guys are coming to collect the offering." Show them your heart. Prove your love by giving with grace. Finish that collection for the Jerusalem church. And prove to them what our boasting is about, about you guys. That you will give your heart to help the Jerusalem church. The idea really is knowing these guys are godly men don't hold back, you know, from showing this love for the church and giving them your offering. That's what Paul is talking about here. Which brings us to our last point. Pour out your love and don't hold back when you give to the Lord. Give trustingly. Give trustingly. Don't hold back. Give trustingly. Three pastors are talking about how they get their salary. One said, I draw a circle on the floor, then I throw the offering money up in the air, and whatever is inside the circle I keep, and whatever is outside is God's. Second pastor said, well, I draw a circle on the floor too. Then I throw the offering money up in the air, and whatever is on the outside of the circle I keep, and whatever is in the inside is God's. Maybe he felt like he was more godly. The third pastor said, well, I draw a circle on the floor too. And then I throw the offering up, offering money up in the air. And whatever God wants, he keeps. And whatever falls is mine. <laughs> well, if ministers handled their finances that way, no one would want to give, right? But you know what? If you trust the church and the ministry and the leadership there, you know what? Then that's where we give, right? But we really give to God trustingly knowing that the leadership there will do appropriately what God's will is in uh, 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 with the money and furthering the kingdom of, of God. Again, you know, I mentioned perhaps maybe you've been burned by some churches or ministries and how they handle their funds, and you're like, well, I'm not going to give at all. Maybe you're tired of pastors. Maybe you're tired of me this morning giving talks about giving, you know, every week in the church or something. I'll tell you, we're not about that. But hopefully you can trust the character and the heart of the leadership here. But ultimately, we've got to show our love to the Lord and to, to those in need and give grace and entrust your gift to God. The thing is, when you trust God in your giving, not only do, you know, to trust in His provision after you give, but you trust that God will properly have that gift be used in a, in a proper manner. So with all of this, you're probably thinking, well, all right, I, I like this, Pastor Rick. I like this. This whole outline is awesome, you know, to give trustingly and meaningfully, sacrificially, you know, uh, 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 unselfishly. So how much are we actually supposed to give the Lord then? I mean, how much? When are we supposed to give? What, what, is there a percentage? You know, I hear these things. Well, let me tell you. The answer to those questions, we're going to find out next time. 
Stay tuned. <laughs> Cliffhanger. But whether you have much or not too much, keep grace in your mind. Keep this thought of grace. I'm going to close with something Alan Redpath said. He wrote, Once you see that the matter of giving is centered on this lovely word grace, it lifts the whole act from mechanics, from pressure and duty, from more legalism. It lifts up the most lovely atmosphere of an activity which seeks by giving to convey to others all that is lovely, all that is beautiful, all that is good, and all that is glorious. I love that. Think of giving like how we give out love. Think of giving how we give out give forgiveness. Think of giving how we give mercy. And that's what God has given us, right? God has poured upon us His grace. So let's all be giving with grace. Let's pray. Lord, we're learning much here this morning, God. Maybe things that we've never heard before. So different, Lord. Maybe from what is the norm or what maybe even Christian social circles talk about. But Lord, as we open your word, we find the truth and the truth, God, speaks to us. And your Holy Spirit warms our heart and tells us this is the testimony and the words of God. And Lord, we want to receive them in that way. God, help us not to be so set in our rituals and in our thinking and our ruts, Lord, that, that we lose the, the deep truth and meaning, God, and what you're trying to show us today about the truth of giving and the grace that is there. And Lord, let us always remember how you gave, Lord, sacrificially, wholeheartedly, meaningfully, unselfishly, all these things in our outline, Lord. Let us follow after you as you gave your life to us. God, as we move into this time of communion, Lord, we remember that, Lord. And let that influence us, Lord. Let it move upon us, even in this time as we honor you, God. For you have done so much for us. Lord, let us be giving back to you in the same way. In Jesus' name, amen.